0: Welcome to the Broadcast Ministry of His Vision Ministries with Pastor Shane Lawson. God's word is unlike any other word. It is alive. Jesus said, "The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life." John 6:63. 6, These messages are intended to bring life application hope and encouragement from the word of god the purpose of his visions multimedia ministry is to carry the gospel of jesus christ around the world through the use of technology and media as an outreach tool we pray you will be blessed by today's message now here is pastor shane Since 1982, the English Department of San Jose State has sponsored a kind of unusual writing competition. It's called the uh, Bullwell-Lytton Fiction Contest. And the contest, by the way, is held each year to see who can compose the opening sentence to the worst of all possible levels or -hmm. no. But the contest began when the professor began to research and discover the origin of the offused line and I quote, it was a dark and stormy night, end quote. Now most Most of the the entries entries involve an observably uh, a long sentence but they're all meant to be funny. That's the whole purpose of the contest. But the website for the contest includes a list of all the past winners. For example, in the 1986 winter that year the opening sentence for the worst of all possible possible novels was this and i quote the bone chilling scream split the warm summer night in two the first half being uh, before the scream when it was fairly balmy calm and pleasant for those who hadn't heard the scream at all but not calm or balmy even very nice for those who did hear the scream discounting the little period of time during the actual scream itself when your ears might have been hearing it but your brain wasn't reacting yet to let you know. Now the reason that I share that is to bring up this point about James chapter 1 and verse 1 that we're going to look at today. At first glance the opening line here to the epistle of James does not seem to hold all that much important and even interesting information. But, like the other letters of the New Testament uh, period, it begins with the author's name here and his audience in some sort of greeting. However, when he examines the words that are used here in the simple sentence, we find the inspired advices. Uh, Verse 1 says, James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. Now, as James wrote this line here and began uh, his contribution to the biblical biblical revelation, uh, we believe, I believe, that he wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. Amen? That's what we believe. And that that means that each one of these words that we read is important, but it's also intentional. Now, here's here's what I want us to take away today if you're taking notes this is really what when we leave this place of worship today i want you to take out the doors we study today james chapter one and verse number one it's our live application it's simply this faith in action is actively serving king jesus amen think about that for just a moment how can you have faith how can i have faith if we are not actively serving king jesus amen. That's what faith is, right? See, a lot of people want to come up with a lot of things and give glory and praise to this or that or what somebody has done. But I'm telling you, Jesus is the one that deserves that glory, honor, and praise. That's where our faith comes from. Listen, if you don't know who Jesus is, I'm telling you today, you don't know what faith is. And so we're going to be looking for the next several weeks here uh, at faith in the book of James. this epistle here. Today we're just looking at one verse... Uh, As we look at this right here, but as James wrote this line, we notice here, faith in action is actively serving King Jesus. Jesus. Now today I want you to take and look with with me at this sentence, sentence, and let's take and let's pull all this together in some kind of instruction where you and I can, uh, for our lives uh, as followers of Christ, that we can understand what James is trying to say here. First of all, from all this opening line, here's what we simply learn. Number one, the Christian's connection is intentional. Now, when we write a letter today, uh, we customarily put our name at the end of that letter, right? If I write a letter to someone, if it's church-related, I usually say, In his love, or to God be the glory, because he's the one that ought to get the glory, amen? Uh, Pastor Shane. Pastor But, uh, or if I'm writing a letter at work, I'll put respectively, um, you know, uh, Shane Lawson, customer, data manager. Whatever it may be. So we put it at the end of the time. But in ancient times, I want you to know that the writer's name would come at the beginning. In the New Testament letters, the writer would generally generally give their name and followed by some identifying statement, some phrase that indicated uh, who they were personally. For instance, Paul begins six of his letters with the phrase paul an apostle and james follows this pattern notice he begins his letters with the words james a servant of god and the lord jesus christ i think that's a great way to begin a letter right but think about that look at that one more time james a servant of god And of of the lord jesus christ we ought to all be able able to to say that amen i (laughs) think that's an awesome way i'm convicted convicted, even as a a pastor pastor, maybe maybe the next time i write a letter that's how i'm going to write the letter i'm just going to replace james with Shane. listen james here he identifies himself with his connection to the lord jesus christ and that is obvious in him being writing this under the inspiration of the spirit listen when you consider who james was and then you look at the words that he chose here for his introduction to this letter there's a lesson here about the, nature's, uh, the nature of the believer's connection to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, let me show you what I mean. First of all, I want you to think for just a moment right here, if you would, please. First of all, uh, think of what James could have said. I want us to think of that for just a moment. What James could have said. Now, through this process of elimination it's at least very likely that James who wrote this letter in our Bible is the same James that served prominently in the early church leader in the book of Acts but if that is so then this James here has a unique connection that fails to mention in verse 1 in Galatians chapter 1 in verse 19 Paul says that this James was the brother of the Lord Jesus Christ now in other words this James was the son of Joseph and Mary and the physical half-brother of Jesus Christ now Peter couldn't say that could he? John could not make that claim Paul did not have that connection to go and to put on his resume and so James could have opened the letter with the line James the brother of the son of God and that is what James could have said but that is not how this letter begins. And so James could have used his connection with Jesus as a badge of uh, of pride and a source of authority uh, for James. But his connection to the Lord was much too serious to use simply a prop for his life. And so, uh, and a short servant for his personal needs. That's what a lot of people want to do. They want to have a title so they can brag to everybody and be haughty and think, look, look who I am. I'm somebody. I'll never forget one time I had a professor in college, and his favorite thing Brother David to do after he would say something was, well, look what a guy I am, and then he would say his name, I'm not going to mention his name, he might be watching, but he'd say, what a guy I am, and he'd say his name, and end it with dog. Uh, I never did get that. You know, too many people do not take their connection to Jesus as seriously as James did here. Uh, For many people, Jesus assigned a kind of some sort of spiritual butler who caters to all their whims and serves their wants and wishes. That's not who Jesus is, amen? Amen. Amen. But that's what some people think. If they were James, they they would not have hesitated to tell people that they were the brother of Jesus because that would benefit them. And after all, listen, that is not uh, after all, the only reason they believed in Jesus in the first place was to help themselves. Now, if you go today and you visit the Holy Land, if you're able to get the opportunity at some point um, in your life before the Lord Jesus comes back to visit the Holy Land, I always encourage that. But if you go visit, you'll see all the sacred sites, all the landmarks, historic landmarks. And, And while you're there, I want you to know there are no shortage whatsoever of souvenir stands. Um, where you can go and purchase anything from a replica of the crown of thorns to a t-shirt commemorating that you got baptized in the Jordan River. When I went, I bought Christmas ornaments that were handmade from uh, Israel, and I gave those out to our church that I was pastoring at that time, the last time I was there. But there's all kinds of things that that, that are there that are in the way of souvenirs. Now, I want you to take and I want you to imagine right now a mixture of, of uh, pilgrims and profiteers all in the name of Jesus. You know, it's kind of like a church. Let me just be honest with you this morning. There's some who come because they genuinely love the Lord Jesus Christ, they come here because they desire to serve Him and to worship Him and to praise Him. But guess what? There are other people, the only reason they come to church is to see what they can get out of it. I had somebody tell me, and I'll just go ahead and say it, that the reason that they go to another church that's large in our community is so that they can grow their business. I wasn't the person they should have said that to. You know what? I kind of opened my mouth and told them, that's not the reason you go to church. Think with me not only about what James could have said, but think about what he chose to say. Amen? Look again at verse 1. It says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to take, if you would please, and I want you to mark that word there, servant. It's translated from a word that literally means a slave. Dr. Zodihates says that this word means more than just a servant. It describes someone who is deprived of his personal freedom and becomes fully an instrument in the hands of his master. His, one, uh, uh, his is one who can never say no to his master. Now, think of that. James could have said, Hey, listen, listen to me. I grew up with Jesus. He could have said, I'm his half brother. However, guess what James chose to say here? He chose to say, I am the willing slave of Jesus Christ. Now, our connection is one in which I am an unquestionable servant, is what he says. You know, many Christians today they want that casual connection. A casual connection with Jesus. Only where he is occasionally an advisor. But you know what? They don't want that authority in their lives. Nobody likes the authority even if it comes from the Word of God. Nobody likes to be told what to do today. You know, they want to wear His cross as a decoration. But they don't want to bear it as a disciple. In His opening line, I want you to know here, James reminds us that while your connection to Jesus Christ may mean a lot, different things to you. If it's anything less than uh, slavery to his lordship, it's not all that it should be. Kelly Lawson is a lot of things to me. She is my best friend. She is my partner. She is my roommate. Above all else, She's also my wife. She is my bride. All other things that flow out of me, out of our connection as a husband and wife, we're one together in our marriage in the Lord Jesus Christ. I appreciate what Sister Charlotte read. That wasn't planned, but my wife means the world to me. Y'all ought to enjoy everything about her because she's the one who writes all my sermons. Amen. With her back. I'm just the, the, the mouthpiece. She's the preacher, right? No, I'm just kidding. No, you're not. <laughs> now, to illustrate the importance of what I just said, I want you to think for me. Imagine that if I, wherever I went, I introduced Kelly by saying this. This is my friend, Kelly. Or what if I said when I was introducing uh, her, this is Tommy and Tony's daughter? That's not good, right? Not only would that be inappropriate, but I'm here to tell you today, my friend, it would probably uh, lead me, uh, get me in a permanent bed in a marital doghouse so do not do that do not introduce your spouse that way your wife but James here he opens his letter and reminding us of the greatest truth regarding the connection to Jesus listen this is not any casual connection here it's the connection of a servant to his master that's the thing Notice the second trick we draw from this opening line. Not only do we find that the Christian's connection is intentional, but I want you to notice here also, that in this unveiling uh, of the book of James, we also see, secondly, the Christian's dwelling is purposeful. Now, verse 1 identifies us the author of this letter. And it also identifies the audience into whom this letter was written. It says, James, a servant of God, and of the Lord Jesus Christ and the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. Now, most scholars do feel here that this is the earliest of the New Testament epistles, written sometime before the Jerusalem Council in A.D. 1852. Listen, I'm not saying that. I'm not the scholar on that part. But if that is the case, when James writes to the twelve tribes, that he is referring here to Jewish Christians... But I want to say this, who at that time were basically the only Christians. You get what I'm saying? So this letter, therefore, guess what? I'm going to say this today under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God because I have studied this. This letter applies to all of God's people in all times and in all ages. Though we are not physically a part of the twelve tribes, we, you and I, are sons and daughters of Abraham. Through faith. Now, I, want you to, I don't want you to miss, we're talking about faith here. It's through faith that we're daughters and sons, baby. Look again at verse 1. James addresses the people of God, which are scattered abroad. That phrase, scattered abroad, speaks to all of us about where God has placed us in the world. Now, the word of James in this opening verse reminds us, where we reside in life, it's not a matter of coincidence. I want you to understand that today. We draw from James' reference that the scattered people of God, first of all, I want you to notice a few things, the persecution that scattered them. When you read the opening verse right here in its original language, there's a reference here to a historical event, that phrase, scattered abroad. And uh, is translated from a word that gives us the English word dispersion. And James is referring to an event that dispersed Jews from Jerusalem into other parts of the world. And this happened on numerous occasions. You can go back in Acts chapter 8 verse 1 and find the exact phrase that James used in his opening verse here. But Acts chapter 8 verse 1 says, and at that time there was a great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem and they were all scattered. That's what the Bible says. And so they were scattered abroad and James here refers to this dispersion he's referring to a particular event listen the early church had experienced a remarkable growth in the city of Jerusalem following the day of Pentecost Luke tells us in Acts that on a daily basis guess what God was doing God was adding to the church however guess what the peaceful scene in Jerusalem was broken up by a heavy hammer of persecution. The church has succeeded, but let me tell you, not without its suffering. Listen, we're the church, amen? And we're still succeeding, but I'm telling you today, in 2024, we're going under great persecution, and it's going to get worse as the Lord continues to tarry. The opening chapter of James here, uh, he'll go to address the reality of all his trials and sufferings and he'll talk about that in the lives of God's people you know we're reminded right here that following the Lord Jesus Christ King Jesus is not an exemption from difficulty I've heard preachers get up and their eyes blink real fast on TV and they have this prosperity gospel you know if you do this everything's going to be wonderful in your life don't listen to that You're going to have difficulty and you're going to have trials. With one word, James points here to the fact that Christ's promise of eternal life in heaven does not mean that life on earth is going to be easy. Isaac Watts penned these words in a hymn entitled, Am I a Soldier of the Cross? The lyrics go like this. Must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease while others fought to win the prize and sailed through the bloody seas? Sure, I must fight if I would reign. Increase my courage, Lord. I'll bear the toil and hear the pain, supported by thy word. Whom we consider the scattered people of God to whom James is writing, we see not only here the persecution. That scattered them, but I want you to notice the providence that scattered them. Listen, it's the it's the persecution that dispersed the people from Jerusalem, and no doubt that was a hard thing. It reminds me, I think, even uh, of the Trail of Tears. The people were dispersed, right? It had to be a hard thing. We know that if you know anything about the history of our area here you know about the Trail of Tears. If you don't, I encourage you to go up to the museum in Charleston. These early believers, guess what? They were forced to leave their homes. They were forced to leave their friends and travel into new places where they had to go and they had to start new lives. And that dispersion was a painful event but that did not mean that it was a, not a providential event. I want you to know today, in fact, the very word that James here uses in our text as we read in the Word of God points us to the sovereign work of God. That word translated scattered abroad there in verse 1 is where we, where we get the word uh, diaspora. It's a compound word of two Greek words. It literally means though sowing. The picture of the word here paints of someone scattering seed across the plot of land for the purpose of sowing and planting. In other words, the persecution of that pushed these early Christians out of Jerusalem was actually the hand of God. Get this. The hand of God scattering them out of seed to be sown in new places. Back in Acts chapter 8, we find that's exactly what happened. You don't have to turn there, but the Bible says that they were Scattered abroad and went everywhere preaching the Word. See, that's what we ought to be doing, right? We've got to be scattered abroad. For the Christian, it's not just coming in here and listening to Pastor Shane once or twice a week. No, we need to be out scattered abroad. Listen, that's what we ought to be. We ought to be sowing the seeds of God. You know, so, so many times we are tempted to ask, why am I in this place in my life? You know, a lot of times we... we are. I mean, we don't want to ask that. Why why has the Lord allowed me to go through this circumstance, this problem, or this crisis? Those are questions that a lot of times people will ask, and people will come to me and say, Pastor Shane, why am I going through this? Why am I experiencing this? I want you to know right now, all of this is a result of random scattering. God is planting us exactly where He wants us. And you know what? He's sowing us according to His perfect will. Our dwelling in life, it's not coincidental. When birds migrate to the south, this is amazing, for the winter. You know what? They're pushed to do so, to migrate by cold fronts. And these changes in temperatures, what happens is it alerts the birds in the coming winter. And it's interesting that these cold fronts, that push these birds toward the south also bring a north wind with clear skies that make the migration for these birds so much easier than any other time of the year. See, God does that, right? It's not all. Somebody said, well, that's Mother Nature. There's no such thing. There's God, amen? He's the creator of all things. You know, at times God will choose to send a cold front. Into our lives, why to push us another direction? Listen, I didn't like it last week that I had to come in here, and I was the only person here speaking in front of a in front of a video camera. To some of y'all, we had seventy something people listening. I don't know who they were. Probably more than that. That was seventy connections, seventy one, I think. We usually have a lot of connections. I don't know who the people are that connect, but they're listening to the Word of God. But God had a purpose, didn't He? He had a reason. I don't know what that reason was. Maybe that reason was last week. Somebody else needed to hear the message. However, it's in those spiritual code prints, my friend. God provides what we need to get us where we need to be. Notice the third truth that we draw here from the opening of this. And it's the last thing. The Christian's joy is unconditional. I'm using that word unconditional. Look again at the introductory verse here in God's Word. It says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting." James finishes the sinnings here with the word greeting, and I think that's an interesting word for James to use. To be honest with you, it's the same word he later used uh, to the Gentile churches in Acts chapter 15. But that word translated greeting in this text. It was a common uh, uh, way of addressing someone, much as, uh, as today of saying hello. What do most people say when they answer the phone? <coughs> What do they say? Hello. Most people say hello. Some people in these parts say hello. But James finishes the word with greed. Some people at the end of their conversation, some people nowadays, this people are so rude they hang up. But usually we say goodbye, right? by now, that's what I say but the word however has a significant meaning in light of what James here is describing uh, or addressing that he is wanting to say to them that word translated as greeting there and the verse 1 literally means to rejoice and so one writer suggests that it's a deeper uh, word uh, meaning of the word which means to be satisfied but think about this word that James chooses in this introductory verse I want you to notice a couple quick things. Who was he addressing? Look at the verse again. James here essentially says, to those who have been uprooted from your home, who have been forced out into the new strange places, rejoice. That's basically what he said in layman's terms. In light of what his readers had experienced, you almost expect James to say to those who have been scattered abroad, condolences. But when you understand the word greeting here, at the close of verse one, it's almost as if James said the wrong thing, right? Years ago, my favorite president, Ronald Reagan, President Ronald Reagan, he was welcoming Prince Charles and his new bride, Princess Diana, to the dinner in Washington, D.C., and here's what he said, and I quote, and express also our greatest happiness Princess David is here on her first trip to the United States. Even some of the best people make mistakes, right? They don't sound like the right thing to say, right? But somebody says, well, in this culture it is. Listen, when you hear James say rejoice to a group of people who had suffered... Uh, So much it seems like a strange thing to say. In reality, it's not at all. It's not strange in light of what Jesus taught in the Beatitudes. If you go back and look, Jesus addressed the people with similar hardships. He told them that they were blessed in their hardships. He said, Blessed are they that mourn, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are they that are persecuted. You know what? The Word of God speaks to those who are hurting. And it's a message of consistent consistent with the greeting in James. The Bible, I'm going to tell you right now, it wasn't written for people who are perfect. You know why? There are no perfect people. It wasn't written to people who are painless because everybody will endure pain at some point in their life. It wasn't written at all uh, to those... uh, that, that everything's pleasant because everything in life is not pleasant. Now, to some people, maybe last week was pleasant with all the ice. But to some, it wasn't because some people got killed during the ice storm or got hurt. But when you consider the word greeting at the close of verse number one here, notice what he was asserting. Not only what he was addressing, but what he was asserting. And now I'm almost done. When James wrote this word greeting into the close, uh, uh, close of verse one, he was not simply tagging a sentence here with a cordial word. He was asserting a theological truth. Now, over the next few verses, James elaborates upon the principle that even in the tri- even in our trials and even in adversity, the Christian has reason to rejoice. In other words, let me say it this way. Our joy, and therefore our rejoicing, I want you to know today, is not circumstantial and conditional. They are eternal. It's eternal. Yes, these people have been uprooted. They had been scattered to all these new places. Yes, their lives have been interrupted. They have been upset by persecution. All this was painfully true. Nevertheless, guess what? They could still rejoice James could still write to them with all truthfulness and honestly and greet them with the word rejoice. Now, why? I think Paul explains it best in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4 where he says rejoice in the Lord always. In other words, always. And again, I say rejoice. See, we ought to always be rejoicing in the Lord. And he says again, always. I think that sums it up. No matter what it is, my wife—all that she's been through—and I'm not going to pound on that. We don't. Po- Wait, listen. One thing about me and my wife—we don't focus on the negatives. You want to talk about living a life where you are totally miserable, and there's a lot of people—they're miserable. Why? Because they focus on everything that's so negative in their lives. But even in all circumstances, no matter what, we can rejoice. Always. The joy was not in their situation. I can tell you right now, the joy is not in the situation that my wife's had health issues. The joy is not in the situation that Brother Carlos is at memorial right now. The, listen, the joy is not in the situation that Brother, that uh, uh, he's got to have a tooth pulled and all kinds of root canals and whatever. It's not Doris in you and the fact that you've got all these things to go. It's not in that at all. Our joy is in Jesus. Amen. It's not in anything else. It's not in your car. It's not in your house. It's not in your stocks. It's not in your bonds. It's not in your retirement. It's not in all those things that I talked about last Sunday. It's in Jesus. And James opens his very practical epistle with a word that can be on our lips even when there's sorrow in our lives. Rejoice. Because of who we serve, joy, my friend, is always unconditional. As long as Jesus is Lord and He'll always be, we can rejoice.
1: The story is told of a foreign
0: king who traveled often, but one day a man living near the palace said to a friend, well, it looks like the king is at home tonight. The friend said, how do you know that? The man pointed toward the king's house, And he said, because when the king is home, the castle is all lit up. Can I tell you what joy is? Joy is the undimmed light in the life of a believer that shows that the king of kings is at home in their heart. And James tells, he says, to all you that are scattered, battered, and tattered, saints, rejoice. In conclusion, I'll say this and I'll be done. Several years ago, a well-known pastor published a book. And through some connections, he was able to get my pastor, Hero, who has now passed away into eternity, to be with King Jesus, Dr. Adrian Rogers, to write the foreword of his book. And listen... That preacher is still living, but with no offense to that preacher, and I'm not trying to be, I have to say that the four words is the best part of the entire book. It's the only part that's worth reading, to be honest. I want you to know tonight, today, this morning, the reason I even bring that up is that there is a lot more to the book of James than one brief unveiling verse. However, this one verse holds a book's worth of truth. And that's why I took one Sunday in the way of an introduction, in the way of just getting everybody used to the fact we're gonna be in James for just a few weeks. We're not gonna spend months and months and months in there, but we are gonna be in this for a few weeks. But James sets the stage for, for what he's gonna say. He reminds believers of the seriousness of their relationship. Jesus Christ. See, I don't think a lot of people are serious about their relationship to Jesus. The sovereignty of their place in life and the steadiness of joy in Jesus. We thank you for joining us today. Visit us online at isvision.org. Text the word save to the number 80123 and hit send to learn how to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. May God bless you.